Mark Grody, our Bears, our Bears beat reporter. Oh, uh, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, oh, great thing. He told, he told me earlier, I'll say all great things. He said he told, said to say great things. <laughs> all right. Morning, Molly. Morning, Molly. Morning, Coom. Morning. Morning, Dan. Morning, Mike. Morning, Chris. Morning, Brandon. Morning, guys. Oh, hi, Mark. It seems to me like you're the expert, Mark. I'm a cool cat, man. Mark Rote. Mark Rote. I go, uh, yeah, uh, it's actually Mark Grody. He goes, no, no, you your Mark Rote. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Wow, that was a new walk-up for Mark Rody. It's on the guest hotline presented by Circus Sports Illinois. Mark Rody, I didn't know that was coming. Did you know that was coming? I didn't. Uh, thumbs up. I'm assuming that Robbie put that together. That's pretty good, man. It's good to hear something fresh. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Robbie Trono, our producer. Nice job, Robbie. I was like, you know, I was tired of hearing the same old clips for me. <laughs> so you wanted new clips of you. I didn't request it, but Robbie just did it, and that's just good producer intuition right there. There you go. So Mark Grody is here. He covers the Bears for us on the score, and the Bears have been doing – They've been doing a lot of hiring. Why don't we, you can either do it in order, backwards, back to front, front to back, whatever you think, whatever you want to talk about. But they've made, there are a lot of new people showing up for employment at Hallis Hall these this week. Yeah, well, let's just talk about the new coordinators and the Bears today. The Bears have made it official in the last hour that they have hired Eric Washington to be the defensive coordinator. This guy's, you know, early 50s. 17th season as an assistant in the NFL. As far as I've been able to see, he's only been an actual defensive coordinator once in his career, and that was recently, 1819, with the Carolina Panthers. Mainly, it seems like his bread and butter is has been in his career working with the defensive line which he actually has done already in his career with the Chicago Bears as an assistant D-line coach um, in 2008 to 2010, where he was a defensive assistant, actually was a D-line coach for a minute with the Bears. He also, just for reference, before we get into what exactly Mr. Washington's going to be doing, um, he did, Eric Washington did coach at Northwestern, as well on their defensive line for for a couple of years as well up until 2007. So the big thing I think with Eric Washington though is that it is our understanding that Matt Eberflus will be the one to continue to call the plays. So now you put Eric Washington into a spot, which which by the way I think that this is the the right move by the Bears that you take a lot of the day to day work off the plate of Matt Eberflus in terms of the defense and alignments. You definitely are leading that room still if you're Matt Eberflus, but Flus will be the one apparently to continue to call the plays. So Washington does the day-to-day, or do we, or is it going to be one of these things? Like for some reason, Steve, it reminded me of 2018 when the Bears had Matt Eberflus as their head coach and play caller and Mark Helfridge as the offensive coordinator, and then Bill Lazor, and we were forever trying to figure out what does the offensive coordinator do for the Bears when the head coach is calling the plays. So we might be asking those same questions about Eric Washington and exactly what he does do. But I think it was I, – I like the idea that the Flues will continue to call the plays. Um, and then, you know, I'm sure that, you know, we've already talked about Shane Waldron to some degree – 
Um, and I think that the fact that Shane Waldron has called plays for the last three years of his offensive life meant everything and means everything. Unfortunately for me, the bar was low in terms of requirements. Uh, well, maybe high, I guess, if you look at it from the Bears' perspective, actually, because I wanted somebody who had experience calling plays, which his predecessor, Luke Getze, did not have. Shane Waldron does have that. He was definitely part of the Geno Smith reclamation project. That Definitely you have to give him credit for that um, and check some boxes in terms of what he's done as an assistant in his life with the Rams as a passing game coordinator, tight ends coach. He's kind of kind of done it all. Um, I didn't think the numbers were great for the Seattle offense last year, but in years previous, they were pretty decent. So that's the, I hope I didn't take up your whole show talking about those two coordinators, Steve. And that's it. We thank Mark Grody for joining us uh, on Saturdays. Um, Let's go back to Washington. He, He comes to the bears, comes back to the bears. That's right. As he had been Buffalo's, the Buffalo bills, defensive line coach, since 2020 and served as assistant head coach last season. So raising pay, raising status, lettered, all that kind of stuff. And now he's the defensive coordinator. Again, like you said, he was with the Panthers. And for whatever it's worth, and these are only raw numbers, you'd have to break it down for a guy who coaches defensive line. But Bill's recorded 54 sacks. That's fourth best in the NFL last year. The Bears recorded 30. Things changed with Montez Sweat, but still 30. The Bills finished ninth in total pressures. So pro football reference combines sacks, knockdowns, and hurries. And the Bills finished ninth with 150. The Bears finished tied for 23rd. Again, Sweat was only here for half a season. So they're at least drawing from... Drawing somebody, perhaps somebody in the building still knows, but they're drawing somebody who has been part of a program that is doing good things and had an effect on it. It's not like Luke Getze holding Aaron Rodgers' clipboard. This is a guy who has actual coaching on the field. In the he's and that's where it starts for this defense. I think this is this looks like a really good move. Yeah, he he's, he's how it's supposed to be done. He sees what it looks like with a team that, you know, perennially perennially gets into the playoffs and the Buffalo Bills, as you mentioned. And, yeah, I mean, and I would imagine, too, that if this relationship works out and Matt Eberflus feels comfortable that at some point in time, I'm not saying this year necessarily, at some point in time, they probably could give Eric Washington play calling duties if they are that in sync but yeah on on the surface right I mean I think that one of the things that I believe is very important for this staff in general and you're starting to see it is just more experience you know Alan Williams not a lot of experience as a defensive coordinator and certainly did not prove anything and did not do anything innovative you know go back to Luke Getze whom again I thought too much of the blame and was just easy pickings because that's what we do in Chicago. We rip on the offensive coordinator, but I will say that it was time to go with somebody more experienced, older, who's been there, who's seen it. And I'm all for 
the concept of taking the young guy, the innovative dude, and I think that's what they saw in Getsy and maybe to some degree in a different way in Allen Williams, but who, you know, is not as young as Luke Getsy. But yeah, I mean, I think that this is the, the New York Washington case that, that like you just go through the resume, you read up on him. I've talked to some people about him and you know, he's a, he's a steady force in the NFL. And I, I feel like even, even at his age and his, having been around, he's still a guy that's on the rise, and that's important, too. Talking with Mark Grody right here on The Score. He covers the Bears on The Score. That's who we're talking about, Saturday Suckage. Mark, of course, one of the co-founders of Saturday Suckage and the WB Club. Trying to get drive throughs in the dispensaries. I guess that's nice. <laughs> and we're, I'm running this campaign of ganja for guns. Turn in a gun, get a pre-roll. That's what I'm trying to get. Wow. Guns off I'm, the street. Uh, I'm actually trying to think right now what would stop them from, like, what would be the technicality on drive through windows at dispensaries? Why not? I, I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's not only a cash business. They prefer it. And, and you can, if you use your, you know, a card, an ATM card, you get charged ATM rates and paid back that way. It's just a really screwy thing. But I, I don't I don't know. It seems I don't know if it's safer or if it's not, but I would just think for convenience that um drive through wake and bake club members would be most appreciative of that. You know, and, I just thought of the, the problem. What's that? Because when people buy their product at the dispensaries, it's like it's like an involuntary reaction. If you go through the drive through until you get food, you start eating the food. If you got your product, wouldn't people be more prone to smoking up? Right you don't think they're doing a walking out the door before they get to their car at the, at the parking lot of a dispensary? Yeah, that's a good point too. But I I just suspect that people are. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You walk out, you got that little bag stapled. Open the bag, start smoking the product. Yeah, yeah. There you go. or gummy, you just chew it right. Drive through. Gummy in the box or whatever you're going to call it, right? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, no, so I will. I bet that there will be drive-through dispensaries in the next couple of years. I bet there will be. Well, we're working on that, and we're going to. Everybody will thank the WB Club for pursuing this vigorous campaign. In the meantime, you mentioned you mentioned Shane Waldron and his work with with being credited with reviving Geno Smith. Right? Became comeback player of the year. Yeah. But that was two Part years ago. Part. And yeah. and Geno Smith was ten percent worse last year. Yeah. Do, we, do we just overlook that? Or here's what I'm thinking, and here's what scares me as a Bears fan, and maybe it's only me. Shane Waldron having that Adam Gase effect, where he uh -huh. all of the hosannas about Jay Cutler. Look at and when you look at the number, you look at the quarterback rating. Anyways, Jay Cutler was average. That's like the NFL average where Adam Gase offensively coordinated him to was average. And that was considered massive, a massive breakthrough. And that's where Geno Smith ended up last year. So you're not mm -hmm. looking for one time. I don't know what, how much blame. I don't know what under other reasons there are, but I'm throwing that out there of if he's going to be credited for this, how does he answer to this? 10% drop in effectiveness. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, Seattle was 
21st in total offense this past year, 14th in passing, 17th out of 32 in points. So it's not horrendous, but yeah, it doesn't exactly jump out at you as something that you would have in your introduction statement on your resume. <laughs> but that, but he has been there. I mean, he has been, and he what they were better two years ago, and the, he has. You simply have to give Shane Waldron credit for being part of the reclaiming process of Geno Smith, no doubt about it. So, yeah, I mean, the the numbers certainly don't don't jump out at you, but I think the experience does. The 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 critical importance of and I, we don't know all we know what the Bears said about what they look for in assistants and coordinators and all of that. But I would imagine that one of the the top things, if not the top thing when they were asking questions was how will you go about developing quarterback? How do you make quarterbacks better? And somewhere along the line, you know, he had to have sold them on what, what he would do to either make Justin Fields better or to develop fill in the blank quarterback, probably Caleb Williams, if he was to come here. So I think that that's such a huge part of it that they probably circled. Let's just see what he did with this individual, first of all, because of that, that, and that relationship was of critical importance. And then go back and look too, because you and I uh, can both look at the numbers of Seattle, but, I'll raise my hand and say, I didn't watch a whole lot of Seattle Seahawks games start to finish this year. So we know that there are subtleties that go into it and what happened in individual games Mm -hmm. and all of that. That part is on the Bears to have done. But I do think it comes down to more than anything what he said about quarterback and what he has proven with quarterback, Shane Waldron, that is, in his career. One of the things, maybe the worst thing the Bears do is – develop young quarterbacks and if that's not the worst thing they do then the next worst thing they do or a thing that even is even worser is run a quarterback competition but but what if they did it the somewhat of a hybrid of the chiefs packers way because they're not going to win the super bowl next year i don't care what kind of delusions there are how many wake and bake club members you know that you get freebies from they're not going to win the super bowl next year and I don't know what Ryan Poles has said about next year's goals or expectations, but if they were to draft Williams and keep Fields and keep Bajan as number two and Williams doesn't get on the field, Bajan plays if Fields gets injured, that they do the the Rodgers sat, Mahomes sat, Love sat, you're going to watch, you're going to learn, we're not making the same mistake of rushing a guy because we suck at that. We're going to try something that successful organizations do. Do you think there's a chance or what percentage chance they do that? And what do you think of that as the idea? I think that'd be a hell of a gutsy move. And on the surface, I love it. I love the idea of it. I think that when I walked out of the Ryan Poles, Kevin Warren, Matt Eberflus press conference, one of my takeaways was there's a bigger chance of the Bears keeping Justin Fields than I thought. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I didn't walk out of there thinking, oh, they're keeping him. But one of the things, one of my immediate takeaways, and I tweeted it out and I talked about it on the radio then. It feels like so long ago, 
but I was like, huh, they really are leaving open the possibility of keeping Justin Fields. I think it would be great. I think it would be great. Like, I don't like, like the idea that somehow the locker room would implode and people would be taking sides is ridiculous because most of these guys, for most of these guys, we know this, and it sounds cliche, and I guess it is to some extent, but this is as real as it gets. It's a damn business. You know, you're not going to have guys that are in that locker room that are trying to get new contracts, that are trying to work their way through their career in the NFL, who are going to pout and and speak openly about how Justin Fields is our guy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, leave, you know, Caleb Williams needs to sit and all that, which I know that that's the suggestion that he sits, but that's number one. So I do think that this locker room can handle it. I think it's kind of nonsense when we get into the idea that the locker room would not appreciate it. Who cares? Um, that's, that's another part of it too. Look, this organization, as we said, not has not been great at developing quarterbacks. It has been bereft of quarterbacks. We know all of that. So, and this is something that I always say, like when it comes to quarterbacks, the Bears are greed is good. The Bears should feel entitled to have as many terrific potential quarterbacks on their staff. So stop looking at it from a, a standpoint of, oh, this is just not financially feasible. It's not tenable. You can't have two great quarterbacks. It would be bad. It's mean to Justin Fields. Screw all of that. This city deserves and has been starving for a quarterback. And honestly, like, it's not that outlandish either. It's not like, so, oh, my God, you're going to keep – you're going to put Justin Fields and Caleb Williams and then you're going to Tyson Bajan be the backup. Like, the, if, the Bears would be the toast of the town and of the NFL again because they are right now because they have the number one, uh, the number one pick. I think it would be absolutely excellent if they had the guts to do something like that. Yes. On a, on the most important issue of the day, where are you on Taylor Swift's NFL era and the amount of camera time she gets and her influence in the games? Because we'll see her tomorrow. We'll probably see a lot of her tomorrow. So where where do you come on come down on that? All I know is that when I'm watching a Chiefs game, I am when when Jason Kelsey. You know, is anywhere near the football or touches the football? My first thought is, all right, where is she? Where is she? No, Travis Kelsey. If Jason Kelsey touches the football, we have an issue. I just want Jason Kelsey doing the whole Tarzan act right through the the suite window to the somebody buying him a beer. Jason Kelsey's a show in himself. Yeah, that's true. Did I say Jason? I didn't mean to say. That's okay. Uh, But no, I I enjoy it. What I like to see is what I enjoy doing is pausing when they go up there and to see who are all the chosen ones that get to be in the picture. (laughs) You know, can you imagine a big deal that like, we're all completely focused on Taylor Swift and that is correct. Um, And Taylor Swift doing the same thing every time we see her jumping up and down and hugging somebody. Uh, But I can't imagine what a kick it is for all the people that get in the frame and you can tell some of them know they're in it and some of them are posing so I think that's my favorite part is show show her bouncing around, hugging who's she hugging, who's she who's her special invite up there on any given day, and then how are the other people around her acting? So yeah, I've I've made a little game out of it, Steve. And how's that going for you? I'm enjoying the game. It's really it's, it's a lot of fun. 
I mean, have you had it with Taylor Swift? Do you hate her? What's going on? No, I'm all for it. I I like the whole idea. I'm I'm here for entertainment. I don't need X's and O's. I don't need high-low concepts. I, I don't need outbreaking routes. I don't care. I'm here for the entertainment. She's entertaining the way. I, I grew up with this. I grew up in L.A. The Dodgers always had celebrity fans. They had a Hollywood stars game where, where Hollywood stars would play baseball out there against Dodger old-timers. And the Lakers in the 80s, you couldn't watch an NBA Finals game without seeing Jack Nicholson. And Jack Nicholson would sometimes walk onto the court after practice to talk to NBA writers because he had a movie to pitch. It was always like this. I'm all for entertainment. That's the way it should be. That's what sports is. This is why I don't like that the Cubs, for instance, have cut down or cut back on seventh-inning stretch conductors where half the time it's now it's the Harry Carey video board. So, like, I love the idea of adding entertainment and having somebody up in that booth every day. So that's a message to the Cubs that, the, the the message boards and the Harry Terry boards and Billy Williams, those, that's getting old. Keep, keep the live guests coming. Don't let people scare you away from entertaining the folks. Yeah, so which Cubs should Taylor Swift date? Ooh, wow. I, I, need, I would need a list of the single men on the Cubs before I just start Not, naming. No, you think, start. come on. Everybody in that roster could be instantly single if Taylor Swift was the prize. Who has the right amount of personality? I mean, you got to be obviously, you got to be pretty good looking. You got to have a gregarious personality. You have to be known. So, I guess I would probably start the bidding at maybe Dansby Swanson because he's kind of got that uh, superstar hair going. Yeah, uh, yeah. If we're, if we're just talking regardless of marriage or not. Um, Oh, man, I'd say Nico Horner, but his Q rating might be a little low mm-hmm. in terms of being known by the nation. We love him here, obviously. They, you uh, know what? They don't have – they don't really have a Travis Kelsey. I guess maybe oh, Bellinger, but they don't have anybody. like They don't have Bellinger either now, right now. But hmm. Oh, I'm trying to – yeah, there's just really – yeah, they don't even have Bellinger here. There's really nobody with, like, that super flair no. that would uh, – would would really fit the bill who has obviously big time popularity so this has been a dud of a question steve this has been terrible i just wondered you were you were in charge of bringing back the celebrities so i i just thought well, yeah. i didn't think taylor swift necessary but no taylor swift that would be great think, think big do big things don't be kevin warren actually execute what Kevin Warren says. And it turns out he's not here to run the football part of a football operation. Kevin Warren is here to play Legos with whatever city parts the Bears can find. But think big. Taylor Swift, Cubs, take me out to the ball game. Oh, my God. Yeah, that'd be perfect for her. She would love that. Like, if she really wants to continue to tap into the the (laughs) pop world, like, what what else do you do? This has been great. Like, doing the following – the one of the best teams and players in the NFL from stadiums, great. But yeah, I think the Cubs singing the stretch would be the next thing. The Nat, the Nat. Too bad they have somebody lined up to do the national anthem this year at the Super Bowl already. That God, how perfect would that be, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. I saw the name. So it is. Is it Usher doing? Is it? I think it's Usher. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. They're doing, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll work on getting the Cubs somebody who's Taylor Swift worthy. And you, you, yeah. and, you and your Swifty coven get back to me on that. I can get my Katie Cat up in this piece. Yeah, Katie Cats would be good. That would be yeah. Bring her out there, and your little uh, monster, your little monster, she, the the mistress of the little monster. Get her to do take me out to the ball game. Is the diva a Swifty? Oh yeah, she wrote about Taylor Swift. In fact, I will read this in the cultural zeitgeist after this. She wrote about Taylor Swift and her effect in Travis Kelsey and the ratings and the numbers and and all manner of that. And she got the typical misogynistic football male response that I will read on in the, in the next segment. Oh, well, that's cool. I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if there, this is, maybe I'm wrong that this is a male hate thing. Some people just don't like the entertainment. Like you were talking about, like seeing Jack Nicholson at games or whomever pops up. Some people just don't like that part. I feel like there's, and I always use the Cubs example. I always felt like there was so much resentment from so many people that when the Cubs were having guest conductors every day, there were so many people who bitched and moaned about, oh, my God, it's a serious it's a game. It's the seventh inning, and they're, they're talking to, you know, Jeff Garland or whomever the person is. And it's, oh, it's a terrible distraction, and this is stupid. And, like, that, there, I just feel like there are a segment of people who don't like entertainment mixed with sports. And I'm sure that there's – you know, that men are harsher on women. I, I'm not naive, but I also think that it's a general issue. If yes. I'm using you, have to t- you have to take the women's sports test because I don't know how you learn sports or where you got your women's sports card for, but you're not allowed in here. Like they want to give them a, the, the football test that they gave in diner to see if she was marriage worthy. Who cares? I, oh, I don't care what she knows about. I don't suspect that. Some of the male entertainers or singers or people that are there know a damn thing about No, there you go. That's the way it is. Thank, Mark, thanks. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend. All right, Steve. Bye-bye. All right, Mark Rohde covers the Bears for us. All right, we'll take a break. We come back. The cultural zeitgeist, new, improved, all kinds of stuff, and and Taylor Swift does reactions. So that's what we're bringing. Saturday suckers. And Peyton Manning, he'll be – You'll hear him before this hour is over. Oh, my God, I love this. Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. We have the cultural zeitgeist. Right now, you're doing something for the culture. Oh, baby. Uh, do it for the culture. For the culture. Do it. Do it. Do it a little slower. Like. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. 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 Indeed, it's time. You've been waiting for it. It's here. Cannot deny you any longer. The cultural zeitgeist of Saturday Suckage. Item one. I'm a word geek. 
which figures five decades of writing and become a word geek. Every morning, I get sent the Merriam-Webster word of the day. It's an online thing. So there's the word, pronouncers, the definition, sample usage, usage, history of the word, and a vocabulary quiz on a related word. Good way to get the mind started. There are also sidebars about words. And the other day, I noticed one of the sidebars was called Word Icons, which I'd never heard of. So I clicked on it. And it was a debut of Merriam-Webster's new video version of Definitions. Some of the definitions will be read by people associated with them. For instance, Ken Jennings does the definition of the word Jeopardy. Of course. Cookie Monster brings you the definition of guess what? Cookie? Very good. You get to advance to the bonus round, Robbie Triano. Issa Rae, for instance, a wonderful actress. She brings you the definition of a word that is the name of her show, Insecure. And this initial word Hall of Fame class just keeps getting better. It includes the word serenity. Hi, I'm Jason Alexander, and this is the Merriam-Webster Dictionary definition of the word serenity. Serenity, noun, a state of utter calm and unruffled repose or quietude. As used in the sentence, whenever I'm stressed, I close my eyes, take a deep breath, and shout out the words, serenity now. That phrase was a catchphrase for the character of Frank Costanza, my fictional father of George Costanza in the show Seinfeld. That role was played by the amazing Jerry Stiller. Jerry Stiller was one of my comedy heroes growing up. He was one of the kindest, most wonderful people I've ever met. And I'm so pleased to have had the opportunity to know him and to be a part of his life and to have this great connection of at least fictional father and son. So that catchphrase has been how I sign off on letters and autographs pretty much for the last 20 years. And so I say to you, thank you. Jason Alexander, word icon, Merriam-Webster Dictionary. This is the best. This is the best word, the best presentation of it. Because the word is Omaha. And you know who has to read that definition. Hi, I'm Peyton Manning, and this is Merriam-Webster's definition of Omaha. Omaha, geographical name, city on the Missouri River in eastern Nebraska with a population of 485,153. As in, the ski lift was invented in 1936 in Omaha. Omaha. I started using Omaha as an audible call in 2012 when I was quarterback for the Denver Broncos. We were looking for a three-syllable rhythmic word that meant we were changing the play and there were just a few seconds left on the clock and the offensive line has to get ready now. Since then, I've shouted this word in game situations thousands of times. I'm Peyton Manning, and this has been the definition of Omaha. That is, that we need that. We need Omaha, Omaha. We need that, Robbie, to separate items in the cultural zeitgeist because we're changing. That's what Peyton Manning did. And Peyton Manning, is of all his wondrous acting talents, now he's in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary word icon. 
All right. We're going to change. Omaha! There you go. I started this several weeks ago, and actually two months ago, and people got upset. So I thought, let's keep going. Now it's time for the 10th greatest riff in rock history. Chuck Berry, Johnny B. Good. Tenth greatest riff. Number nine was Purple Haze, Jimi Hendrix. Eight Pretty Women by Van Halen. Seven Money for Nothing. Six Black Dog. Number five Iron Man. Number four Layla. Number three Running Down a Dream. Number two Satisfaction. Number one Smoke on the Water. That's my list. Top ten. Well, we'll bring you another one as long as somebody gets upset about it. And so far, every week, people have been upset about everything. And it's pretty simple. You can make up your own list on your own radio show, and you can choose your own riffs. There you go. Omaha! Nicely done. So we're mix- as long as we're mixing sports music, here's your eighth inning stretch at Fenway Park. Have you... That's it. The eighth inning. And Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline at Fenway Park. Been a tradition since 1997. I've asked about, and I don't know why. And I finally found out why. It was Neil Neil Diamond's 82nd birthday this week, and that prompted that whole thing. So according to WROR 105.7 in Waltham, Mass., There have been many theories and rumors. For years, many people believed the song was played in honor of Caroline Kennedy. That made sense. Her family is a Massachusetts royalty, after all. The likelihood of her attending a game at Fenway was much greater than the likelihood of it, the actual reason we sing the 1969 hit song. The answer to the great mystery of the story behind why we sing Sweet Caroline at Fenway Park has nothing to do with the Kennedys and everything to do with a Fenway staff member. Sweet Caroline was first played at Fenway Park in 1997 after a Red Sox employee in charge of music at the park played the song as a tribute to a friend who had given birth to a baby named Caroline. The song caught on, played before the bottom of the eighth, and everybody plays bump, bump, bump. So if you're like me, and you like stories behind songs? Do you like stories behind songs? Robert? I love it. I love uh, like the behind the music. Yeah, I love that. See, yeah, right. So, "Sweet Caroline." Who is Caroline? By Neil Diamond, New York-born Neil Diamond. Well, of course, everybody goes to Caroline Kennedy. That he wrote this song for her in the late '60s. However, back in 2014. In an interview with CNN, he revealed the real story behind it. The truth is he was searching 
for a name to fit into a song he had written about his wife at the time. Her name is Marsha. On the Today Show, the singer shared, quote, I was writing a song in Memphis, Tennessee for a session. I needed a three-syllable name, and I couldn't get a Marsha rhyme. God, it's like I hit the post for that. I am such a broadcast legend. So Sweet Caroline, because it had three syllables. And Peyton Manning, Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. I wanted three quick syllables for that. All right, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, there is more cultural zeitgeist, including male angst about, in this case, my daughter writing for CNN about Taylor Swift and the NFL and men and women and ratings. And, oh, boy, she got a taste of what my life was about for a while. Saturday Suckage, Steve Rosenblum, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. And I'm Steve Rosenblum. This is Cultural Zeitgeist Part 2. We're going to continue this. We have been at various times throughout the show talking about Taylor Swift and the NFL being in its Taylor Swift era and men and women and football. So my daughter, Allie Rosenblum, wrote something for CNN.com. And she tweeted out, so say what you want about Taylor Swift being shown during NFL games. Truth is, you're still going to watch my analysis. And then she <clears throat> linked to her CNN story, to which she got the response, so predictable, <clears throat> from someone whose Twitter handle is DD Bunch of Numbers. Kind of sounds like you want to suck a fart out of Swift's ass with how much you were kissing her ass in this article. This is why CNN is terrible news. We're covering her in football news crazy. Well, keep writing your trash pieces and sucking those farts out of her ass. Yeah, baby doll, welcome to my world. That's the way people do it, and that's how football fans do it. Speaking of football, here's your week in Kyle Long tweets. Jason Hartlius, whose Twitter bio calls him a backup Red Zone producer tweeted, we need a 30 for 30 on Danny Almonte. Where is he now? He's talking about the New York Little League or the guy from the Bronx who was 14 playing against 12-year-olds and dominated them and then got found out and then came trouble. To which Kyle Long retweeted, in a retirement community winning cornhole contests. Nicely played 75. Truth is, Danny Almonte is 36 and he's an assistant baseball coach at Cardinal Hayes High School in New York City. Oh, my God. 36 years old. All right. This is Steve Rosenblum. This is Saturday Suckage, produced by Robbie Triano, who's just thrilled to be a Detroit fan. And if nobody important listened to this show, I'll be back next week. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
it wouldn't have been possible if we weren't here to be told how much we suck. So kudos to you guys for sucking as bad as we do. Oh, yes. Wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait, wait. Oh, yeah. That's it.